0: Welcome to Wall Street Weekly, a show where your hosts, George and Patrick, cut through the financial jargon to keep you educated and informed about the markets that affect our lives. Enjoy the show.
1: You're listening to the highly informed and overperforming radio show on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Patrick Scott, to my right, what are we talking about today?
0: So last week, we talked about Wall Street and the biggest winner, or one of them, Michael Burry and the Big Short. But today, we're going to be talking about One of the biggest losses, or maybe just one of the biggest ones that you haven't heard about, a guy named
1: Brian Hunter and his firm Amaranth. And just, I know this is radio, but for context, Brian Hunter looks exactly how his name sounds. I don't know how to explain that any better, but Patrick agrees.
0: Yeah, definitely just, you know, one of your parents' friends look on their their Facebook profile page. Just a really friendly looking guy, you know, someone you'd get a Christmas card from and it's on the refrigerator for several months. Average looking guy, very friendly looking.
1: But Brian Hunter was anything but average. Like we said, we talked about Burry last week and he had a lot of really weird quirks. Like you see the guy and you know... There's something a little different about him. He's like an alien looking at a normal world um, and just sees things differently. And where could you find that episode if the if the audience wasn't able to listen?
0: Go check out our Twitter slash X feed
1: at Wall Street Pod. So yeah, you can find all of our old episodes there. Let's start out with the similarities, Patrick. So what similarities did were most notable to you about Brian Hunter and Michael Burry? And then we'll talk about later. How they diverged and were so drastically different.
0: I think the main thing is just a unique strategy, and this comes with a lot of wisdom. Maybe, maybe this is one of the things that, maybe this is one of those axioms of you know the the Buffettisms um, of Warren Buffett. You know, betting where everyone else wouldn't even think to bet, doing something so strange that everyone else thinks it's almost crazy, which isn't a foolproof strategy, but it can win big.
1: Yeah, and I think. That was pretty much exactly my notes, is that they both found a great strategy and weren't afraid to bet the farm on it. There's just slightly different outcomes for both of those, and I think there's reasons why Burry did it in a smarter way, but I want to give Brian the benefit of the doubt because it's easy to look in hindsight, but we could just as easily have been talking about Burry if he hadn't predicted the housing crisis and everything was fine. So let's take a step back. The story really starts in 2003. I don't know if you saw this, but he was trading at a different firm, and he had always been known to be somewhat of an aggressive trader. So he traded natural gases with his firm, um, but his trading group lost $400 million in one week. Oh, sheesh. And because of that, he was let go by his firm. However, evidently, he was still a very sought-after trader. Uh, He had made $69 million in the previous year before he lost the $400 million, which thinking about still isn't a great ratio. Um, But he was able to effectively put off a lot of the blame and say that he wasn't to blame uh, for the massive losses. But he came up with this strategy, and the strategy was long winter, short summer. Patrick, do you want to explain a little how that works? So with long winter and short summer, let's just give a quick definition of long and
0: short. When we say long, we mean buying, as in buying a regular stock like normal. But when we say shorting, and we talked about this last week and gave a definition there, so you can check out that episode for the definition, but that basically means betting against. He would buy natural gas stocks for the profit of the winter months, but he would bet against the natural gas stocks for the summer months. And that was basically because consumption of natural gas would naturally decrease in the summer months because there is less need for, you know, heating and all those different kinds of things. But in the winter, you know, the weather will t- often take a turn for the worse. And so that's when you need natural gas. And so that's when the price will go up and you and he can make money off of it.
1: Yeah. And a quick c- clarification. So I think it's really smart to think about going long as buying stock There's also other ways with derivatives you can get exposures, but we don't really need to go into that. Also, his strategy, where he's thinking about going short the summer months and going long the winter months, it makes a lot of sense intuitively. And it did work for the first year, but it almost seems too simple, like that other people would have thought of that. Is that somewhat of what you're getting to?
0: Well, it kind of makes me think of the efficient market hypothesis, right? If you know that consumption is going to go up in the winter months, shouldn't that be priced in with the current price,
1: even if you're in the summer? Yeah, and that's, looking back, I think that's really easy to see, but he did really well in 2005. In fact, he made an $115 million bonus from the firm, which I believe was like 10 or 15% of the profits that were directly attributed to him. So he made the firm like over a billion dollars what a lot of people forget is, especially from our generation, do you at all know what happened in the summer of 2005? Um,
0: was that Hurricane Katrina?
1: Yeah, exactly. Hurricane Katrina came in, just devastated the South. And I didn't realize this, but it also took out a lot of oil pipelines, a lot of infrastructure, whereas natural gas seems to be more readily available or less dependent on that sort of in- infrastructure. So the price for natural gas during that summer skyrocketed. Now for our listeners, you're probably thinking, okay, he went short in the summer though. So he was betting against prices in the summer and he was betting that prices would go up in the winter. So didn't he lose a ton of money in the summer?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking.
1: Well, what actually happened is prices spiked in the summer. So he lost a lot of money for his summer short. However, in winter the prices went up way more than the prices went up in the summer because they realize that the demand is inelastic in the winter, which means people are going to use natural gas because it's cold. Like There's a certain amount of demand for natural gas that no matter how high the price is, people need to keep themselves warm. Where in the summer months, yes, you want to use natural gas to, to power things, but there seems to almost be a cap on it Because if they get too expensive, you're just going to not use natural gas, go outside, suffer through the heat a little bit. Right. Yeah.
0: You've got options in the summer, whereas in the winter, I guess you might say your natural gas is one of your only hopes.
1: Yeah. So to be fair, his trading did require a little bit of skill, also known as fraud. (laughs) Um, There's actually in the finance world kind of a side tangent still people who would consider manipulating algorithms not, not completely unethical. I think there's still kind of an old guard who's upset that the computers came in and automated so many parts of this job, took away the human side, but the SEC has come down really hard regulating people who are trying to manipulate traders and computers and that sort of thing. But that's what Hunter did. What he would do, and stop me if this is kind of going outside the scope of the show, but he is bullish, or he's long on a certain contract. So he wants to buy this natural gas contract. He would build up short and long positions slowly. So both betting against and betting for.
0: That wouldn't like cancel out or anything?
1: It would cancel out if he hadn't done what he was doing. So at the end of one trading day, he would sell all of his long positions. Which seems really weird, because... He thinks the price is going to go up, and he's selling all his positions to whatever makes the price go up. To whatever makes the price go up? Basically, he only makes money now if the price goes down, but doesn't make money if it goes up, even though he kn- he thinks the market's going to go up. So what's happening here? So he would sell all his long positions, and this would trigger a steep decline in the stock price. He would, he would make so many trades in an 8-minute period at the end of the closing of the day, that it would look like there's this huge spike down. So even if he only controls like a quarter of the market, if you see that natural gas prices went down a quarter of a percent in five minutes, you'd be pretty scared. So this caused a lot of other people as well as uh, algorithms to sell natural gas contracts.
0: Mm. And and isn't that kind of because his firm, and he specifically had a large portion of all of the
1: natural gas contracts? Yeah, he had a pretty significant portion. I, like, not majority or anything like that, but even small percentage changes. He, he had enough where he could move the market. Now, remember, he still has short positions, which make money when the market goes down. So the market has this short little crash, which he triggered. Then he exits out of his short positions. So he just made money because the market crashed. Now, when he sells out of his short positions... It means that he bought the stock. So then he bought a bunch of shares back of the stock and actually had contracts of the stock. So he actually had more contracts than what he started with at a lower price. And real quick, what do you mean contracts with this? So contracts would be like uh, for oil. It would be a contract would get you, I don't know if it's like a thousand barrels of oil or there's a certain number. So for natural gas, it's like a certain amount of weight of natural gas. Is this what futures are? Yeah, that's what he's trading. He was trading futures contracts. Gotcha. So just to put numbers to this, it would be like he has contracts that are priced at five dollars a share. He sells his longs, triggering a cascade, which makes the stock which makes the futures go down to four dollars a share. And then when he buys back, he's able to get back in at four twenty five or four fifty. So he's making money on two sides of the trades. Um, but people really didn't like this.
0: Yeah, it sounds really smart though. I mean it's a Pretty brilliant strategy.
1: Yeah. So interestingly enough, he was actually investigated by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which is a congressional committee, and he was acquitted from punishment in that scenario. And the reason was, is his market manipulation made prices go down rather than up. But I think you're going to talk a little about some of the fallout from this, I guess, where this all turns sour and why we're not talking about Mr. Brian Hunter as... Uh, a Forbes billionaire today. If
0: you're just joining us, you're listening to Wall Street Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. George and I are discussing today one of the greatest failures in trading history on Wall Street. And so we're talking about Brian Hunter and his trades in the natural gas industry. So this all really just built up. And, you know, as, as you were saying, he just kept buying more and more futures More short and long positions. And then came 2006. And, you know, like Katrina in 2005, 2006 was a time of bad weather in the summer. And so that made a lot of money for Hunter. So, how does bad weather in the summer make Hunter money in this case?
1: Remember what I was saying that he loses money on his summer contracts, but the winter contracts react more violently. So, he lost money because prices went up in the summer but prices went up way more for the winter months.
0: So on the aggregate, he made more money. On okay. the
1: aggregate, he made money. Gotcha. Pretty much in, in most cases, he was going to lose one way or the other, but he made more for the winter.
0: Okay. However, with the dangerous weather that was coming in in this season, the natural gas producers were now working to you know produce lots of gas to store for the rest of the year. And so the market was starting to prepare for natural disasters. And what this did was when they actually had good weather, then they would not They would just have this excess of natural gas, and just having that excess meant supply was way higher than demand, and so that drove the prices down, and that was bad for him.
1: Yeah, people seeing what Katrina had done earlier made them to just glut the market and store much more natural gas than they needed to, and then the winter of 06 was a very mild winter, so you could just kind of had a combination of like three different factors that drove the prices of natural gas down.
0: And so I guess we could say that he kind of caused the consumers to do this and to store it because if he himself was driving up the prices from summer to winter, then, you know, that encourages them to buy it in the summer when it's cheap and then save it for the winter. So in a way, he's kind of really causing his own own doom here. Is that right?
1: I wouldn't say causing his own doom, but if people started noticing what he was doing, and they're like, man, this guy is making bank, you kind of become a victim of your own success, because people are seeing you making easy money, everyone's going to try to make the easy money, and eventually they're going to crowd you out.
0: So then, after a summer and a winter of great weather, um, Amaranth, the firm, had run out of money to pledge as a margin, which means that they basically, and once again, correct me if I'm wrong, George you explained this to me very patiently earlier today, that they ran out of collateral, which in this case was the value of the natural gas contracts, to be able to pay back the loans that funded Amaranth. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's like when you're taking out, it's kind of like what you think about happening in 2008, that if you use another home as collateral to get a loan for another house, so for instance, if I have a an, million-dollar an home and I wanna buy another home worth a million dollars, I can use my first home as collateral for my second home to get a, an a million dollar loan. Well, if both homes, if the market crashes and both homes become close to $500,000 a piece, I still have an a million dollar loan outstanding. So the bank is either gonna force me to give them more money or to sell one of my houses.
0: Gotcha. So because of that, because of their decreasing margins, They were forced to sell a portion of their positions at very low prices, so they had to take a $500 million loss. Then, you know, after continued good weather, Amaranth ended up having to sell the rest of its positions for pennies on the dollar um, to Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. And they ended up making a sizable profit off of this cheap gas, Uh, but this gave Amaranth a $6.6 billion loss, and the firm collapsed. And to conclude this story with Brian Hunter, what happened to him? He ended up having to testify on account of his uh, banging the clothes practices. And um, today he is living in Calgary, Canada and driving his Bentley.
1: How'd you find out he's driving a Bentley? It said that in the article. Okay, so they're just kind of outraged that he still seems like living somewhat large. Yeah. Apparently he had a firm that did really well during the Great Recession so within a couple of years of all this going down, he was back working, making money.
0: Yeah, it was, the whole process was kind of shady. Like Amaranth knew what he was doing. And then they published a memo saying that they wouldn't really tolerate any fraudulent activity like banging to close practices. But they still knew what he was doing. And he was still doing it. And they still paid him a lot of money. So, yeah, the whole thing was just really sketchy.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of things like stories like this in the finance industry on a smaller scale. But one quote from a former employee who worked at the company said that the culture around there was that you didn't want to kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. It was good for everyone when he was making money. So everything works out until it doesn't. And I think there's a general consensus that you don't question this guy. He knows what he's doing. And again... I think it's important that we criticize him, but if Burry had been wrong, I remember us talking last week about how he was withholding withdrawals, not letting his client withdraw. I think we would be talking about him as the enemy had he lost all the money and everything.
0: Yeah, it's really the results that make you the hero or the villain. You know, if Burry did the exact same actions and the housing market never collapsed and he never succeeded and made a lot of money, you know, he would just be another bum on the street, really. Even if he did the same things and the same research and made the same wise decisions, it really all comes down to the result. So it's a tough game living on Wall Street.
1: Well, you were in h- into history for a while. Isn't there a quote about that? About what? Like the winners writing the history or something.
0: Oh, yeah. The, the winners write the history. <laughs> I, I don't know who said that, if that's an official quote from some historical figure, but that's basically generally accepted truth.
1: Yeah. I think to wrap up, we should talk about the differences between Burry and Brian Hunter, because I, I do think there are a couple. Burry was dependent on human factors, though, and I think that is a big difference, is that he was able to look at the Excel spreadsheets, did more research than anyone during the time, looking at every single mortgage, and was able to ap- assign good probabilities to the events happening. And if you understand humans, you can be pretty sure. Uh, someone from the firm, who sounds a little upset about what happened, Said that where Brian Hunter went wrong was trying to model God.
0: Yeah, I do like your point about uh, Bury playing to human nature because there was a lot of human nature in that. You know, remember we talked about the teaser rates for mortgages. You know, people were wanting to get in on the mortgage while it was really cheap, and so they were kind of using the teaser rates, one and two percent mortgages, as an advertisement to bring people into, you know, big houses, and then eventually they couldn't pay it off. So he's definitely paying into that, I guess, natural human desire, whereas this is much more, I guess, volatile and really situational dependent and maybe just pure chance, the weather.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing that Brian Hunter was really doing that wasn't dependent on the weather was trying to bang the clothes, which we said is fraudulent, but that was trying to play off of human nature. People see prices spike or prices decline quickly, and there's kind of this herd mentality. So I think he was smart in understanding that. Um, unfortunately, that's not legal. Is there a reason why that is
0: not legal specifically? Because, I mean, it seems like you should be allowed to buy and sell your shares when you want to.
1: I think a big part is, uh, in, in this case, it wasn't very harmful except for the fact that people need to buy natural gases. The U.S. is the most invested in stock market because it is transparent. And people feel like the prices adequately reflect, I guess, the going rate. And I think if you get people believing that there's just some big money at the top playing games and that you'll never know what the prices actually are, I think that's a bad thing for the market.
0: Yeah, it says here in this one article from Newsweek that uh, his closest call to prison time came when the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, they found him guilty actually of manipulating the natural gas market um, and gave him a $30 million fine. How can you afford Bentley with the thirty million dollar fine? But then he appealed it and actually won. Okay. So that's kind of the big thing—just manipulating the entire market. I guess you know the regulatory commissions don't like it when single investors play god.
1: Yeah, and I think it's from a popularity, especially if you're in a, an elected official like those co- these congressional committees were that I actually acquitted him, is that it's pretty easy to make a model of someone. If thousands of people are affected by someone's decision and you have the opportunity just to make an example out of someone, that's really good publicity for the politician or for the person in power. Definitely. So that's about all the time we have for today. I would like to say that if you guys are looking forward to some of our future episodes, I think that we're going to do something involving Christmas and something involving Thanksgiving coming down the pipe. Holiday specials. A couple holiday specials. So that should be a lot of fun. And then we have a couple weeks left and then we're off for about a month, five, six weeks. So you'll have to like we like we keep reminding you, you'll have to keep listening to past episodes on X at Wall Street Pod. Be strong for us. Radio Free Hillsdale Warriors. Be strong for us. We'll be back. Hey, we're not quite gone. We still got a couple weeks left and we're excited. But for all those who tuned in today, we want to thank you for listening to Wall Street Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.